0: So this morning we are going to turn our attention to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've got a Bible, I do invite you to turn there. The verses will also be up on the screens. Let's take a moment now and just open our hearts and minds to receive whatever it is that God wants to say to us this weekend. God, we give you the cares of the day the appointments of next week the conversations the decisions the to-do lists and for the next few moments we open our our mind to hear from our creator would you illuminate the words of scripture to our life so that they would become part of who we are help us to hear but also help us to apply your word to our everyday real life. Amen. So the first time that I saw Rebecca, who is now my wife, there was a chemical reaction that happened in my brain. I can still remember the day. I was a junior in college. I was taking a class called Ministry Seminar, The room was theater-style seating. I was sitting about halfway up. She walked in the door, and I said, who is that? I immediately sensed the release of dopamine, which is the elixir of romance. Was it love at first sight? Maybe. I don't know. You see, the trouble we have with love is that it is associated with, sometimes exclusively with, feeling something. Now, now some say that the, the feeling something of romance can actually chemically wear off in about 17 months. You see, when we no longer feel something, it's easy to question everything. Which can be particularly dangerous uh, for those of us living a life of faith because what happens when the feeling wears off? I remember coming to faith in Christ uh, when I discovered that there was a God that that loved me unconditionally, that gave his life for me. There was a, a feeling associated with that. Like it was a good feeling that, that God cared for me. The church that I attended was filled with people that seemed to love me, accept me, mullet and all. But then the... the The dopamine started to wear off when I discovered that life, even as a Christian, can be challenging. And sometimes downright hard. And then I discovered that the people in my church that I thought were perfect weren't quite as perfect as I imagined. The dopamine started to wear off. See, for some of us, when the dopamine wears off, start to question our faith. Why don't I feel God anymore. Maybe I should look for a different church because the people at my church aren't as perfect as I thought, and I'll go find one a bit more, a bit more to my taste. First Corinthians chapter 13 is often called the love chapter. It's the most quoted passage of scripture at weddings. <clears throat> and the argument that the Apostle Paul is making in this Passages, if love is just a feeling, then it's not functioning fully. So when we talk about love as spoken in the Bible, I mean, there's all kinds of things that we're asked to do. I mean, we're, we're told in the scripture that, that God is love, that his very essence and nature is this ideal of, of love. We're, we're told to love one another. We're, we're told to love our neighbor and we're even told to love our enemy. But what does that even mean? This summer, we've been making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. The first 11 chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians was essentially the Apostle Paul dealing with problem after problem after problem after problem problem in this small church in a Roman colony called Corinth. When we get to chapter 12, which is where we were last week, we get this general picture of spiritual gifts that we are all gifted by God to do something productive in this world, and we're given those as gifts. And then in chapter 14, there's a discussion on the use of those gifts. But in between 12 and 14, chapter 13 doesn't seem as though it fits. It's, It's different than the other two chapters. It has like this lyrical beauty to it. See, chapter 13 is actually introduced by chapter 12, verse 31, when the Apostle Paul writes these words. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. That phrase, most excellent way, means extraordinary, overabundance, more than necessary. My father-in-law Jake uh, was a postmaster in the United States Post Office until he retired, and so he understands how mail is handled, how packages are handled as they make their way across the country. So whenever Grandpa Jake, or my kids call him Pompo, it's a long story, but whenever Pompo sends us a package in the mail, there is a lot of tape like there's an extraordinary amount of tape there is an overabundance more than necessary amount of tape so we know that when we get a package from grandpa Jake we need really sharp scissors and a lot of patience to get that thing open when the apostle paul writes i'm going to show you the most excellent way what he's suggesting is he's going to show us a way that is extraordinary that in the eyes of the world it is overabundant and more than necessary, but it is the way for followers of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy... And can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. The the only environment in which my faith and my gifts function properly, is the environment of love. It's where ministry happens. That word love is used 10 times in First Corinthians chapter 13. Some believe that First Corinthians chapter 13 is actually a nod to some Old Testament passages found in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapters 18, 19, and 20 are known as the Holiness Code. And those chapters are filled with lists of things you're not supposed to do. Do not do this and do not do that. But they're not listed simply for the sake of not doing them, but they're listed for the sake of love for the other. It's also the place in which we hear the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself for the very first time. And yet that word love is a complex word. The ancient Greeks had ten individual words to describe this one word we now translate as love. Now, the three that Christianity is most familiar with are the words eros, phileo, and agape. Eros, we get the word erotic from it, is a it's a romantic love, it can be a lustful type of love. Often, eros is a love that takes. The second word we're most familiar with is the word philia. Uh, It means brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, gets its name from this word. It means deep friendship. This is a a love that, that gives, but it also receives. It gives and takes its reciprocal. But the last word, agape, which is the word used in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is a love that gives and expects nothing in return. It is a word that describes a love that cannot be earned or deserved. It can only be received. See, agape, though it can have feelings associated with it, is more a a doing word, which is a challenge for me because I often interact with others based on how I feel about them. So if I like you, then I'll probably interact with you, spend time with you, say nice things about you. But if you're weird, then, I, I mean, maybe I'll be cordial, but most of the time, I'll probably just stay out of your way. And if I don't like you, I mean, maybe in my, my darker moments, I might even might even treat you poorly. And you look at me and say, how dare you? Why would you do that? Well, the same reason you do, because we're all human beings. See, what we're being told in this chapter is that I can have remarkable gifts, miraculous gifts, but without agape, all I am is an intrusive, annoying, self-important noise that's distracting and irritating. See, agape extends beyond my feelings and looks at people theologically different. It looks at all people regardless of who they are as made in the image and likeness of God. And without agape, my faith is functionally irrelevant and I accomplish nothing for his kingdom. Now you may say, yeah, but some people are hard to love. True. Some people are hard to fillet You, I mean, there's not, I'm not going to connect with everybody. I'm not even going to like everybody. And dare I say, not everyone's gonna like me. I know, hard to believe, but they're out there. And while I'm not going to flay everyone, I, I certainly can agape anyone. Jesus said, Well, you can agape even your enemy. So what it requires is that we start to retrain how we see people through the lens of Jesus and Scripture. Now when we do that, there's a battle that happens. The Apostle Paul would describe the battle as the battle between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh being my own selfish way and the spirit being God's way of, of doing things. A couple of years ago, I started golfing. Uh, before that, I didn't like to golf. When I would golf, I would say bad words and not becoming of a pastor. But I would go once in a while with my dad, but I, I just didn't really like it. But two years ago or so, I decided I needed a hobby so I didn't strangle somebody, and so I started taking up golfing, and I started going out, and I really kind of started to enjoy it, being outside with my friends, but I stink, and I wanted to stink a little less, so I decided to take a lesson. So I went to the golf course, got a golf pro, and he got me out on the driving range, and he said, I want you to start by just hitting some golf balls and I want to watch you swing. And I said, all right. So I got up and started hitting a few. And after I hit a few balls, he looked at me and he goes, okay, well, here's the deal. Your stance is wrong and your swing is wrong. So I said, so everything. He said, yep, that pretty much summarizes it. So he goes, we're going to do two things. We're going to work on your stance and we're going to work on the way you swing the club. I said, all right. So he sets me up, talks about my spine, the alignment of my back, how I arch, how I bend my knees, the way that I hold the club and the way that I swing. And it was really uncomfortable. See, my muscle memory was so used to something else. And so he puts me in a position that did not feel natural. And I just kind of looked at him. He goes, trust me, just try it. And when I did exactly what he told me to do, something magical happened the ball went straight. (laughs) And sometimes the ball went straight and far. There was one time I had a pitching wedge and I swung like he told me to and the loft on the ball was so high. When I hit it, I said, where did it go? And then I saw it hit the ground. I said, wow. But the true test was when I went to a real golf course for the very first time. And I got up on the tee box and there was a battle between the flesh and the spirit. There was a battle between the old way and the new way. The muscle memory wanted to go to the old way, but I'm trying not. How did, how did he say to sting? And I'm, and a couple times I did exactly as he told me and the ball soared. And a few times I went back to the old way and the ball didn't make it past the ladies' tee. Right? <laughs> see, sometimes agape is awkward. And yet we're asked to embrace the, the awkward because, the, see, agape is going to require a battle between the old way of feeling and the new way of just, of just doing. But just like a golf swing, the more you practice agape, the more comfortable it gets, the easier it gets, the more results you start to see. See, when I practice agape, every once in a while, feelings that weren't there start to follow. See, the truth is, I I do good towards others because I filial them, because I like them, so it's real easy to agape them. In other times, the way I love has nothing to do with feelings and everything to do with obedience towards God. See, every time I obey God, agape is happening. There are times that I agape and I don't even feel happy about it. But I also realize that God's... Great desire for me is not to be happy all the time, but it certainly is to be agape all the time. Because if love is just a feeling, then it's not functioning fully. Now we get a very clear picture of what functional agape looks like in verses four through eight. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Here's how Agape functions. It's it's patient. Anybody need to work on patience? A few truthful people and a whole room full of liars. (laughs) Love is kind. Love rejoices with the truth. Did you know that you can speak truth and not be a jerk about it? You can speak truth and still be loving. Agape protects, it trusts, it hopes, and it perseveres. When these things are happening, agape is functioning. We also get a very clear picture of what it's not. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not dishonoring of anyone. It's not self-seeking. It's not angry, and it doesn't fail. Like I think one of the most profound descriptors of agape is it doesn't seek its own way, which is hard because I like my way, and my way is usually right. A lot of the problems that I experience, and maybe you do too, are because I don't get my own way. And as a result, all my peace, all my happiness, all my joy is connected to an outcome. And yet what I think we can all agree on is that life has a flow to it. Things come and things go. There's movement, there's fluctuation. There are some things I can control and other things I cannot. And yet in the middle of all of it, agape is sturdy within life's fluctuations. There's that sturdiness sturdiness of, of trust and hope and perseverance. Love doesn't fail. Verse 8. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Right now, in this moment, I don't see it all clearly. None of us do. We only see what God has revealed to us. We see dimly as in a mirror. But don't think like a mirror in our bathroom. Think of a, an ancient mirror which was simply a polished piece of metal in which you saw a vague reflection of yourself but it was a bit distorted. We just, we see a distorted picture of reality. We do not see the whole thing and when we claim to know the whole thing we fool ourselves. Which is why The Apostle Paul says in verse 11, in a bit of a, kind of a straightforward tone, because you don't see it all clearly, stop acting childish. Verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. As as many of you know, I, I have two kids, and my kids have friends, and my kids were particularly when they were younger, although maybe some things ever change. Uh, when my kids were younger, they would sit with their friends, and one of their friends would say something. And another friend would disagree with what they just said, and they start to argue. Right? You ever argue? With it? So these kids are arguing. Well, then the third and fourth kid, they would chime in, and they'd all be arguing with each other, all at the same time, so that you don't even know what any of them are saying, and these kids are just arguing about stuff that doesn't even matter, they're just fighting about stuff, and when I see that, I step back and I'm like, oh, that's network news, (laughs) right now. Nothing productive is happening, except reasoning like a child, when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Mature faith recognizes that I do not know the whole story. And when I encounter that person that I think is challenging or evil or lives their life in such a way that is so counter to my values and I want to make an immediate judgment, my challenge is a mature faith recognizes you don't know their story. Every single person is the way they are for a reason. And unless we're willing to enter into the story, unless we're able to enter into a narrative that we know nothing about and simply want to pronounce our opinions and judgment while we're acting like, well, well, children. See, mature faith is not just how much you know, It's how well you love. It's the greatest of all the virtues. Three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You see, if love is simply how I feel at any given moment, it's not functioning fully. So this week, maybe as a next step, we need to enter into the world and practice our agape swing. Maybe some of us need to practice our patience swing. So when things things aren't happening like we think they should be happening, when they're not moving fast enough, when you're sitting in the drive-thru at Walgreens and the pharmacist is taking way too long, instead of cursing them under your breath and then berating the pharmacy tech, just say, maybe God has me sitting here for a reason because he wants to say something. Maybe we need to practice the the swing that says, I'm not going to seek myself. I'm not going to seek the good for myself. And when things don't go my way, instead of acting childish and throwing a fit and berating people and giving people a piece of your mind, maybe God has something different in store. Others of us, maybe we need to practice <clears throat> where we place our hope. I want you to imagine for just a moment, um, you get up in the morning and you pray, you have your devotional time, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna be generous. Imagine it's for an hour every day. You get up every hour for, every day for an hour and you read the Bible and pray. And then you go about your day and then the rest of your day you intake four or five, maybe even six hours of all kinds of other news media. Which distorts our perspective, makes us cynical. Where are we being influenced? Where are we placing our hope? We're placing our hope in that which influences us the most. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Is that okay? I read the end. God wins. And because God wins, I can persevere. Maybe you're about to give up. Maybe you're about to give up on that person. And love says to you, don't give up yet. Not yet. You see, God's healing love is in the world through his church. We are plan A, and there is no plan B. Dr. Bernie Siegel is an oncologist, he wrote a book called Love, Medicine, and Miracles. And in his book, he argues that unconditional love or agape is the most powerful stimulant for the immune system. He, he argues, quite simply, that love heals. He even reports in his book that his patients, those that have unconditional love and emotional support, his cancer patients' survival rate increases by a factor of two. And yet I realize it's not just our bodies that need healing, it's also our soul. And you and I, we have the opportunity to be instruments of healing in our world. So, So maybe the Christian church needs to stop drawing battle lines. Maybe erase the line and become people of healing. I told this story at our annual meeting two weeks ago. But I was, in, I was in San Diego at a pastor's conference, a uh, pastor's thing, and there were pastors from all over the country there. And I would talk to different pastors, and they'd ask me questions like, they'd say, hey, what's, what are you excited about at your church? What's your vision for your church? And, you know, quite frankly, the questions started to irritate me because I knew what they were looking for. They were looking for, like, some big like, audacious answer, this, this, this sensational answer, or they were looking to see if their ministry was better than mine, which it happens more than you think of pastors' things, unfortunately. I just started getting irritated with the question. And I came home kind of irritated, and I got back, and I just said, God, I, I know there's all this stuff out there, vision, and uh. I said, what, what do you want for your church? God, what do you want for your church? And as I sat with that question, I feel as though I got this grand revelation from God. You ready? Here's God's grand revelation for our church. We're going to preach and teach the Bible. We're going to love people and let the Holy Spirit do his work. And that's it. Preach and teach the Bible. We're going to love people regardless of who they are and we're going to let the Holy Spirit do his work and we're not going to confuse ourselves with the Holy Spirit because sometimes I think we think we're the Holy Spirit when we try to change people and convict people. That's not our job. That's his job. Our job is to love people and be God's healing presence in the world and the Holy Spirit is the one who changes the heart that convicts of sin, that transforms people. That's not my job. That's why Jesus can't I'm not Jesus. I didn't die for anybody. So all I can do is preach and teach the Bible and love people. And I'm going to watch the Holy Spirit work. Cuz see you and I we have the opportunity as Christ church to be his healing gape in a world that so desperately desperately needs it. And so God my prayer. My prayer is that you would give us the grace to be agape in your world. That you would give us the courage to have a faith that would, that would hope and trust and be patient and kind. As we go into the world this week, may we not be self-seeking, but willing to put ourselves out there for the good of others, even that person. And you know the exact one we're talking about. Help us to agape even when we don't feel like it, even when we think the recipient does not deserve it. Even when that person's values are so opposite of mine, help me to agape in the name of Jesus. Help us, help me to be your healing presence in our world. Amen. Amen.